Attorney Gino Jacinto, or Gino as he would prefer to be called, was on the path to being a stereotypical lawyer with all the perks and privileges that, that might come with. His desire to go in a different direction caused him to take the leap into the startup space. This has led him to Unawa. Unawa is a tech startup that wants to revolutionize document management systems in the Philippines and across the world. In this episode, we'll talk about Gino's journey from the law to the startup space, what he does in Unawa, and how he's taking on the issue of forged documents and fake notarization. Now, that last entry might seem like something trivial to a layperson, but you need to trust me when I say that as someone who is engaged in the practice of law, it's a terribly exciting area for innovation. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, Gina, welcome to my podcast. Hey, Rami. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, for the benefit of the listeners, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, of course, not at all. Uh, hi, uh, listeners. Do you call your listeners anything like Rami Holics or something? No, <laughs> no, no, I but, haven't but thought of a name yet. <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought of it yet. No, no, but good afternoon, everyone. My name is uh, I'm attorney Gino Hasinta. I am the chief operating officer of Unawa Inc. And yeah, I think for now that that's that's my introduction. Yeah, so with, without going into too much detail, because I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to touch on it uh, later uh-huh. over the course of the rest of the podcast, uh, can you just give us a brief background of Unawa? Mm-hmm. Oh, thank Yeah, sure. So Onawa Inc. is a, uh, a Philippine legal tech startup. We've been around since 2019, uh, operational since 2021. Essentially, we aim to digitize the entire document lifecycle with legal binding effect here in the Philippines. And oh, eventually, I'm going to correct myself there, eventually, uh, globally as well. Mm. Okay, so um, before we go into what Unawa is and what Unawa does, no, this the Ramming Tanong is largely a podcast about people. And so, uh-huh. uh, Gino, I hope you don't mind. I dispense with the term. Oh, Panero. I would insist. <laughs> uh, I would insist, please. Thank you. Gino is perfect. Yeah, it, it's it's a bit strange no, that a lawyer sort of transitions away from what is formally the practice of law into the startup space. I think I think there's this caricature that people have of us as lawyers is that we're people who crave stability and predictability. Uh, and so I just wanted to ask, like, what made you decide to transition to the startup space? Um, I don't think it was a one one time, one step uh, decision thing. It, it It happened very gradually. So as you said, um, I was also a very traditional lawyer. I started my career ab- about a decade ago in litigation. So I did my rounds in litigation, after which I went into corporate law, uh, both working with a firm, um, both, in- both instances at-, at law firms. And then eventually I got called up and joined a, a multinational company as their head of legal. And, you know, doing the, the ins and outs, the day-to-day of that practice, um, to be honest, and not to deter any future lawyers or anything, it got a bit uh, routinary for me. I craved a little bit more. And I think that happened because of the corporate setting rather than the firm setting. Everything became too, it became too repetitive for me. So um, I got called up by a startup, um, a, a few friends of mine uh, and I, I suppose, we founded a, a startup and I acted as the chief legal officer it was a tech startup, so I got involved with the developers, with with all sorts of fundraising mechanisms. And so I really got engrossed and embraced this new space, and I, I enjoyed it. So eventually, um, I got called on to Anawa, which kind of mixed the two together. 
it's it's quite a new field, I think. It's very rare to say that you're in a legal startup. So I was able to find a career or a job that merged both things. So the legal and the tech aspect put together was a, like a dream come true in so many words. Mm. So before I, I I jump into you know the discussion of what uh, of uh, you know that that particular journey that you just undertook, or that you that you undertook rather, uh-huh. um, I just wanted to ask the question like what is what is it that makes startups because because you have this sort of starting businesses generally like say for example any schmuck can open a store but what is it that makes uh, startups uh, such a potent uh, force for change if I can if I if that's a fair way to phrase the question please. I, I think that's a very good way of phrasing that question. Um, I think the, pro- the 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 proliferation of startups now is um, people have the opportunity to do bigger things. Um, there are uh, industries are growing, especially if it's in the tech space. Uh, these startups allow people to really get a head start. You know, not, they don't really have to go from the ground up. They don't have to consider capital so much because there's a lot of funding available now. And there's a lot of ways to make your vision, your dreams, or whatever happy you what schmuck you just mentioned can actually get things going and get things doing. Uh, there's more opportunity for it. So the whole startup recognition thing is, um, it's, it's very advantageous. You can do a lot more with the support you can gather around yourself in, in industries like ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess that's one of the things that I, I sort of struggle with because I'm a young guy and I like to think I'm hip and in the know. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I really look uh, out for information about startups, but some might that sort of runs counter to my experience as a lawyer, right? Uh, okay. because, uh, we sort of interact with very bureaucratic, archaic legal processes that uh, that is time. very true. Yeah. So I guess I guess I should ask you, how is the legal system at odds with um, the startup space? Uh, and yeah. Well, sort of it's question. improving. It's improving, actually. Um, the documentation you need is pretty much the same. Uh, you register any startup the way you register any other business. I guess mm-hmm. what's different from with startups and other businesses is uh, fundraising. Fundraising is something that uh, a traditional base business will likely not have to go through. However, startups do. And as you can imagine, uh, the exchange of large amounts of money can be quite difficult. But with the advent of safe agreements, for example, that has sped things up quite drastically. Um, so for, for one, anyone listening to this, uh, lawyer or someone who wants to put up a startup, instead of looking for an investment contract, safe agreements. Uh, the legal space has allowed for that. And as, just as a bit of a segue, um, the safe agreement was uh, first created by the Y Combinator out of the USA. Mm. Uh, and we do have one. Unawa has a free version of the Y Combinator safe agreement, Filipinized by PJS law. So it's all set, it's all done, and all you have to do is just uh, fill in the details, sign it, and get your money. What I guess I'm not super in the know because I actually don't know what a safe agreement is. So for those that might not be familiar with that term, do you mind spelling it out for, for us? <laughs> yeah, sure. That's um, Basically, it's an agreement against future equity. So you're paying for um, a share, shares against for future equity. So you're basically giving the startup some some level of funding for a value that is predetermined in the future. So basically you're getting in on the ground floor at a discount. So invest now, get equity when it's worth something more. Simply put, that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I asked a particularly uncharitable question about the Philippines and sort of said like, how is it at <laughs> odds, right? And I, I like to balance it out by asking you the question also about how is the Philippines uniquely suited 
for um, the you know the application of uh, the business processes that startups can participate in, you know, these fundraising and, um, you know, the other things that you've discussed. Oh, how is the Philippines good for the startup space? I think what makes the Philippines particularly unique is um, the size of our country. I think it gets off, often overlooked. Earlier, I mentioned our target is first the Philippines and then we want uh, global reach. I think a lot of startups automatically assume global reach they believe that their um, their brand is more valuable if they have presence in other countries. However, other countries are not necessarily as big as the Philippines. The Philippines, we have a population of 100 plus million people, often more often than not underserved and overlooked, unfortunately. So for startups, especially if you need volume and if you can target something that the Filipino people would really need to use, the Philippines is prime for that. And we're still very young in the industry that your competition here is, it's not that much. There's not many startups in that sense compared to the, for example, in the States where every day there's a new startup. Uh, when, when a new technology is released, there's going to be like 10, 20, 30 startups of the same kind that pop up or materialize within the same week. Here, you still have that moat that allows you to create a name for yourself before someone else tries to come in especially if your startup is very novel in the sense that what you're doing is not a repetition of something else. It's very new in, in, in that sense. Mm. So I think, I think, you know, Onawa sort of latched onto this gap between there's a certain, well, you know, I think it's sort of beating a dead horse for me to say to another <laughs> lawyer that, that the legal field lacks innovation. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I, I have, I have nightmare stories of friends of mine who work in law firms and like the, the, the document, um, management is still manual. Like they still keep physical oh, copies of everything. It's ridiculous. Yes. We have to, it's, it's the court processes, right? We have no choice. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. You know, but then I guess, I guess now that you've identified that Unawa exists in this field where sort of, um, uh, legal innovation is occurring, uh, what are the low-hanging fruit that um, Unawa sort of identified as avenues whereby innovation can be created? And uh, maybe maybe some more ambitious things or maybe some of the things that some of the services that Unawa already has, anything that comes to mind at all? Yeah, sure. So um, a few things. I'd like to clarify that um, despite being classified as legal tech, it doesn't mean our product is specifically for lawyers or law firms. Okay. Um, we designed our product to be business or enterprise agnostic, meaning anyone can use this from a freelancer to a Sari Sari star owner. In fact, that's our goal. We want everyone to use our product, our products. Um, essentially, I, I mentioned earlier, our goal is to digitize the entire document lifecycle. If I want to kind of simplify that or attack it from a different angle, our goal is essentially to make a paperless workflow. We want to eliminate the use of paper from business in every step of the way. However, and finally, speaking to a lawyer, you know that currently that's not possible because for certain documents, you need to have it notarized. Mm -hmm. And notarization still requires a physical printout with a wet signature. So that is like the one hindrance we have from doing a totally digital document lifecycle. However, mm -hmm. we are working with the Supreme Court. We have... Um, I have read the, the rules for electronic notarization. And in fact, um, I'm part of a team along with um, a very, uh, one of the largest banks in the Philippines. We're sandboxing a version of electronic notarization that's very unique. Uh, no jurisdiction in the world has what we're trying to do. And once, and I do say it once, when this does get passed and it will get passed, 
um, we can finally say we can have a completely paperless uh, life cycle. Even our, our, our digital pleadings, our court pleadings will all be digital, uh, fully paperless notarization, no need to leave your house, no need to have a document sent. And importantly, hindi na kailangan yung panotario, which um, for all listeners, please don't do that. Please go to a valid notary because I can't stress how many cases, well, a bit of a flex or boast here, how many cases I've won just by establishing that the, um, that the witness put forward didn't have the document notarized properly and we were able to disallow that document because they just wanted to save a few minutes and have that document sent. So a, a bit of a segue, but yeah, please, everyone, notarize your documents properly. There's a reason we do this. Mm-hmm. So actually, this is something that I struggle with personally in my practice in the province. So, um, you know, the panotario, like uh, these fancy <laughs> guys with uh, seals, um, they're they're legitimately um, your competition for a service, right? Like it's sort of the way, it, it, it's ironic that I compete on that level, but I do. Right, like for simple mm-hmm. affidavits and these kinds of things, um, it 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 presents a legitimate obstacle. And I have clients who are uh, very are dealing with a lot of resources, and they put the the weight of the resources behind these contracts, which are essentially forgeries. Uh, this is exactly. something that, yeah, I mean, I and I can't I can't condone this kind of conduct, and I don't understand why people um, don't see the value in getting a notary to um, to actually swear the document properly. Uh, and this is, but this is also my pain point, right? I wish I could make it easier for people. I had actually tried um, once or twice to use the elect, uh, it, the remote rules of notarization. We have it, that too, actually. And uh, with respect, uh-huh. the rules are not good. Yeah, they're not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, okay, uh, I'm going to say something slightly bad and then I'm going to change it and, you know, throw props where props are due. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, the rules of the rules on online remote notarization are they're they're not the best from the business perspective. Um, it it tries to use technology, but mm-hmm. it doesn't take full use of the available technology. So as you know, you know what the what the RON rules are. It mm-hmm. requires something like this. You and I will schedule a conversation, but I still have to record myself signing a contract, have it sent to you, and then get online and then you have it sent back to me that's going to take more than a day if we're lucky if we can make if we can match our schedules that'll take more than a day and mm. that delays everything so especially if it's an important document with multiple people scheduling is ridiculous and that slows things down so what do people do they make um panotario and mm. even if it's a valid notary these guys are essentially what they're they're perjuring themselves by saying they're signing a document saying that you sat before me and you know so we're just trying to make sure that the, the spirit and the letter of the law gets upheld with one of our products. So we do have a remote notary application on our website. It, mm-hmm. is, um, it is there. We don't really promote it that heavily because we do know it's inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very soon, we're going to make that e-notary. And we're very excited for that because that will really change the way business, uh, um, business dealings get closed because it, it's, it's exciting. Um, when I tell my friends that my passion is electronic notarization and things like that, they're like, you need to have a more exciting life. And I'm like, <laughs> you just need to know more. <laughs> but it's true. I, I really believe that something like electronic notarization and the whole digitization can drastically change the business, can change our economy, the speed at which things get done. And 
um, save you money for one. We can talk about the cost of paper, um, as you well know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the environmental impact also. I know that um, a lot of startups try to attack the, that whole environmental impact thing because it's what it, it's what attracts investors at the moment. It's mm-hmm. like one of the more sexy pulls. And mm-hmm. but I'm very happy to say that we do believe that our system can drastically. Um, change and improve everyone's carbon footprint because the reliance on paper, and you know, um, mm. Rami, how much paper you use as a lawyer. Um, by the time, have you, if I may, have you have you gone to the Supreme Court yet? Have you not not that not level? in my personal practice? No, no, no. But you're aware of right how much the paper reams that and gets, reams, yes, the reams yes, yes. from every from the lower courts and then photocopy per justice. Very likely they photocopy that too. That's thousands and thousands of pages per case, per justice, per month. Not to mention where they store all of these documents. Can you imagine um, like a prime warehouse just storing documents that's very likely being eaten up by termites or getting rained on at one part that no one even knows about. So I really believe that the shift to digitization is is quite important. And my experience as a practicing lawyer for, wow, for a decade, <laughs> and I still have to wrap my head around that. I feel like I'm still like a young guy, but clearly not. Um, but yeah, you know, I, in all of these the shortcomings and all these issues of of the the whole paper manual process um, has in, in the from the legal standpoint, it it slows things down so much. And you know, just the sending of a pleading, taking advantage of the last day, registered mm-hmm. mail, you know, all of that things. It's like a week just to get things done. If we if we're allowed to digitize the whole process, you know, you know, justice delayed is justice denied. We're, we we get to fix all of that, and mm-hmm. happily, I think I believe that the products of Nanawa can do this, and we're very happy to. Uh, and I'm I'm going to plug a little bit mm-hmm. uh, for for our for our platforms, uh, for our signing platform for one, Sign Secure. It's available totally for free, right? Um, we don't limit it, unlike the other products. There's no five signatures per, per month. There's no um, 30-day trial. You can sign as many documents as you want for the, for the rest of your life. Of course, mm-hmm. we are a business. We have subscription and we do have paid tiers that open up more features. But I'm here to say that our free tier alone can make uh, can save a small business hundreds of thousands of pesos um, a month. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's a bit much, a year. Yeah, well, but I I just have one question though, um, and then I'll maybe I'll hit back with some of my personal experiences also. Um, you mentioned earlier, just before we get lost, is that uh, eventually uh, we will have a version of online notarization that is in fact truly online, right? Not not the yes. kind of fake uh, remote notarization no, which requires the shuttling around the physical documents now. <laughs> um, but uh, just given what some emerging technologies that exist today, right? Um, mm-hmm. I believe in the remote notarization rules, the notary public is supposed to verify the identity of the person by using uh, video conferencing software, right? So like Zoom or Facebook Messenger. I don't know if any lawyer worth his salt would use Facebook Messenger, though, uh, using a web camera and then asking them the questions that they would ask over the course of notarization by virtue That's of right. that video conferencing software. Uh, there are technologies now such as like deep fakes. You know where <laughs> I, I mean, sorry. This is this is just like the lawyer in me, and I'm just like no, no, like no, no. The most skeptical place. Like, wouldn't it be possible to get around that uh, that uh, validation process by employing other technologies such as uh, deep fakes? Yeah. yeah, of course, anything like that is possible, right? Um, uh, but if you really want to stretch it like that, 
you can imagine the dangers of the notarial system as is. It's much easier to fake it. Um, props to you if you can deep fake your, your notarization experience. But, uh, but what we're trying to do with electronic notarization is more than that. We're not going to rely just on this visual confirmation. So um, our system, without giving too much of our trade secrets away, right? So we're going to be using <laughs> you know, the, highest the highest level EKYC protocols. Um, the system is going to call for um, biometric verification, and all sorts of things that will really verify the identity of the individuals partaking in the notarization mm -hmm. to to ensure to ensure you, this is actually the first time a deep fake example has come up in challenging this product of ours. I have never encountered that. That's a great question. It's now something my team is going to be discussing tomorrow. <laughs> but for the most part, uh, we hope that will never be a problem because one thing we want to do is actually eliminate the need for this face-to-face -face component. Um, uh, we've been talking about the panotario system, right? Mm. Um, and what's the reason for panotarios is to validate uh, the identity of the person, right? The notary is supposed to see you. Mm -hmm. um, but as we know, that delays things so much and majority of people don't do that. I'm mm -hmm. a lawyer. I used to be a notary. I've, I've still had doc. Sorry. I've still had documents panotario before. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's crazy. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to develop technology in a way that is future-proof, but also adheres to the cultural setting. So we know people don't have time to sit down to have a document notarized, especially if they have several documents to have notarized. On the flip side, for, for our paneados out there, we also know that it's a revenue-generating mechanism of theirs, notarization. If they have to sign up to a platform that will require them to sit before their computer for 10 minutes to notarize one document, they're not going to do that because they can notarize like 100 documents in 10 minutes now in the wrong way, but it gets done and it's accepted. So what we're trying to do is use technology to merge the two. So you can log on to your bank account and transfer millions of pesos without ever having to show your face, right? Mm -hmm. um, unless it's biometric recognition, right? But you don't need that face-to-face -face component anymore. I can access my, my bank account had I had millions of pesos in it and transfer it to someone else, all, all from the comfort of wherever I am. Mm -hmm. I don't need to call the bank teller anymore. And why can't we do that with notarization, especially with the technology available to us? And that's what we're, that's what we're doing right now. We're going to create a mechanism that will allow for that, to bridge that gap between those who are too busy to do the proper way, the traditional way, the proper way, and those who would like to really encompass something more convenient and more future-proof and more um, technology, to, more pro-technology, if I may say. Mm -hmm. But I guess, uh, you know, there, are you part of that Facebook page, Abogadong Pinoy? Yeah, I'm a part of a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there was this post that went up recently where it was like... Um, People were saying like, well, you know, they were complaining about the Panotario outside City Hall. <laughs> uh, I won't name the city so that we, you know, we don't incriminate any of our. Um... It's pretty much every city, Rami. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty much any city, every city. But uh, someone responded though, uh, and he said that, oh, you know, this Panotario, they're actually, uh, you know, it's illegal, but right, uh, most people cannot really afford the services of, you know, going in front of a lawyer. And there was a bit of a value judgment that had taken place there. Um, I think though. You know, this is me coming from a very selfish perspective as a lawyer, where um, I think that uh, I wish the Integrated Bar of the Philippines was a bit more 
heavy-handed when it came to this because I think we as lawyers also we don't do enough to lobby to sort of get rid of that um, that space that people can exist in, which is essentially the the business of forging documents. So essentially, um, yes, um, yeah, um, I'm surprised at how they do it, how um, lawyers franchise out like. Sometimes in a rush, I need to have a document notarized and they're getting clever. They're going to ask, mm-hmm. um, is this document for court? So they already know, like, right? They're going to ask you, is this for court? If I say yes, they're going to be, yeah, we're not going to notarize this. So mm-hmm. it's just for the basic documents. But still, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 it espouses a familiarity and a practice that we shouldn't get used to. And yes, not enough lawyers or, or not enough people are trying to correct this. And it's, that's the problem. It's being it's accepted already. It's yeah. accepted until it bites you in the sorry, if I can say that. It, yeah, until until it backfires. There you go. Until it backfires you in the future. Only then do you contemplate it. But really, that's what we want to avoid. Notarization serves a very big purpose. Mm-hmm. And people just think it's a it's a process they need to submit an application. It's something they need to do to finalize something. But really. We know what notarization is for, and we want to make sure that that's protected. So while many people probably are not lobbying, mm. you now have us at Onawa. We are now the ones lobbying to fix this. We are now making sure, allowing, we're bringing technology forward so that, and I'm sorry for all you coroner notaries, we're going to essentially stop you, but we're going to, we're trying to fix the system. Uh, backdating, anti-dating contracts will no longer be possible because our electronic notarization system will um, very likely be on a ledger on a blockchain. So all of that is, it's, it's timestamped accordingly. So we can ensure that the spirit and the letter of the law are met with these technologies. But mind you, um, electronic notarization, at least for the next few years, will not be replacing traditional notarization. In fact, um, if you want to be an electronic notary, despite being a notary, you have to apply specifically to be an electronic notary, as for the rules that are yet to be released. <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, so yeah. it's not automatic. If you're a notary, you can be an electronic notary. You have to go through the same process from the electronic notarial commission side instead. So we're well, baby steps, baby steps. Okay, okay. Well, at the risk of uh, you know continuing on this topic, because I think you and I as lawyers, we're, we're tempted <laughs> to talk about notarization because notarization is something that's interesting to See? us, but it might not This be. is what I say. This is what I tell my friends all the time and other people. Like, they're like, what are you talking about? Like a purple stamp? Yeah, I can put a purple stamp. Like, no, you can't. That's the whole point. You're not supposed to put a purple stamp. Not just anyone can do that. But yeah, let's mm. let's move on. Thank you. Rafa. Yeah, let, yeah, let's let's move on. Um, so uh, so there's actually like so say for example in my own practice, um, I I have had the the good fortune of interacting with like certain foreign um legal innovation. So one of my favorite ones, one of the one of the biggest ones, I think any lawyer in the Philippines who's operated in any kind of reasonable level will be familiar with it is Westlaw and the yeah. document repository. Oh my God, that makes things so easy. Wow. Can you Why imagine a that... time before that? Yeah. Yeah. And then but then we don't have we don't have a one-to-one counterpart in the Philippines, at least to the no. best of my knowledge. We don't have one that is on the same scale and the same level of utility as the Westlaw document um, repository. So um, my, this is my question to you now. It's it's more of uh, besides that, or if you want to talk about that, feel free to go ahead. What legal innovations exist in other jurisdictions that have not quite made their way to the Philippines yet that interest you? Yeah. Um, I, I wish I could give you a much more highfalutin, high tech answer, but the the simple fact is the the acceptance of the of a digital document. I think 
mm-hmm. is the innovation that other countries have put forward that we haven't. Um, the, the, the reliance we still have on paper is quite ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, I can't think of any positives. I'm hard-pressed to think of any positives. In fact, I was on another podcast once who said, we would like to find a detractor against the digitization of the workflow and you have a conversation with them. And I happily said, please do. I would love for someone to try to explain to me why we should stick to paper as opposed to digitizing this other than someone who owns a paper company. I mean, unless you're, unless you're Michael Scott, I don't think you're going to be able to out-argue me in the shifting to digitization. But simply put, um, it's nothing too high-tech. Uh, I, I'm not going to answer you AI. I'm not going to answer you any of this. It's just the acceptance of a digital document and mm. um, the the comfort people have with it. Because as you know, um, electronic signatures have been allowed for quite some time now. But even the larger enterprises always ask us, is it legal? Um, yeah, I'm like, yes, it has been legal for a while. Are you sure? Like, yeah, <laughs> we're sure. Um, but there's still this apprehension because people are very stuck in the old school way. We are at that cusp, I believe, mm-hmm. of, well, it's wrong to say analog, but in, in the bigger picture, from analog to digital, we're still there. Like if we think, if we push back a few years, our grandfathers were using, my grandfather was a lawyer. He mm-hmm. typed his pleadings on a typewriter. Mm-hmm. He researched with books. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. But we transitioned from a typewriter to a laptop, from running through the halls of a library, which I still had to do for legal research exams. Now it's all on Google. We are at that cusp of that switch to that next level of digitization and innovation that people just want, just need to accept. And again, I want to clarify that, and you know, we are talking about, not just myself, we are talking about Unawa. Um, mm-hmm. The digitization we're trying to push forward isn't legal, the legal field specific. As I said, we're enterprise agnostic. We mm-hmm. really just want to replace, again, that's the most simple thing, replace paper um, in, for a more secure alternative, which is a, its digital counterpart. And our products, we have a, a, a a few of them actually, uh, can ensure that this entire process is done much faster, way more secure, and immensely more convenient. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I just sort of have to jump in, and this is not, not me talking to you so much, Gino, as for the person who might be listening and might not be a lawyer no, to this podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, just for the benefit of that person, uh, the reason why uh, you bother getting something notarized at all is because it, it a notarized document in the case of litigation dispenses with something called the um, authenticity and due execution, yeah. right, as an issue. Mm-hmm. So basically, it becomes a non-issue whether or not the person who participates in a document has in fact signed that document because exactly. as you can imagine when things hit the courtroom people <laughs> are very shy to admit that they have signed certain things and so notarization dispenses with that as an issue it makes them basically unable to effectively deny it unless they have proof that controverts it by in the form yeah, of another document it, it basically makes a private instrument public right that's a very yeah. simple way of putting it there yeah okay yeah. please oh, go on yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just that. That. Anyway, that's just a short spiel for that. That person who might not be. So <laughs> we really can't leave. We really promise. can't leave notarizations. Can we? <laughs> See, if my friends watch this, I told you guys this is interesting. <laughs> um. But, but go, go see, we, we've given we've given on, Onawa a bit of the spotlight now. I just wanted to ask if there are. Uh, if there are some other startups that you feel are worthy of note in the Philippines, like some some that might be up and coming that are impressive from your perspective. 
Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't always have to be the in the legal space, right? So mm-hmm. um, there's this one company uh, who we've worked with. They're called Round One. And props to Round One, to Brandon, if you guys watch this. Um, they are the country's first um, uh, accredited crowdfunding platform, uh-huh. right? So they're our version of Kickstarter, uh, Indiegogo. So you can now raise money through crowdfunding as recognized by the SEC. And I think that's a huge step. So to them, uh, props uh, within their own platform, there's a whole list of startups. So you can, if you are an investor or if you don't, if you have a startup and you don't know where to start, round one, definitely something to, to look into. Another startup I'm quite um, fond of, they're, what they're doing is not necessarily technologically uh, forward. It's very simple what they're doing. It's this startup called Bima.ph. Mm-hmm. Um, what they do is they sell reproductive health drugs online, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess here in the Philippines, there's still that stigma, whether it's um, whether it's a birth control pill or a condom. And I, I apologize, this is a weird transition. But startups mm-hmm. like this address issues that people don't normally consider. Um, mm-hmm. The safety of reproductive health is key. And here in the Philippines, unfortunately, that level of education, whether you're in the public school or in the private school, may not necessarily be taught or in fact is um what's what am i looking for it, not that's it not only is it not talked about the education process of it is so low that you know um people don't know where to turn to perhaps young women young men don't know where to turn to and in fact they'll just use other methods so something like that dima.ph definitely um a nice startup doing great things uh round one very very impressive what they're doing the regulatory hoops they had to go through to get accredited um incredible and there's a lot there's another startup who i've had conversations with also called prosperna uh, i have no um i have no equity or shares or i have no relationship with any of these startups i'm not earning from plugging them but i like what they're doing so prosperna is another one that helps uh smes um just really get their feet off the ground in a faster way and just to just modernize things. So um, I'll answer those three, I think. Those are re- three very good startups mm-hmm. here in the Philippines. Well, sorry, I just have one one question about round one. No? Round yeah, one, go ahead. You, act- you can actually get like a common stock back. Is that is that is that like you put your money in and then you will, you will be re- returned common stock? Is that is that how it works? Uh, or is it like... Pretty much. Um, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. See, so interesting. That it is because it's very new. Uh, I think they launched... I was, I was at their launch... Um, a few months ago, so mm-hmm. depending on what the the company offers, whether it's common mm-hmm. or preferred, um, it's all accredited. So they are backed by Eastern Security, so a security brokerage. Um, so it's look it up. You know, you're not limited to the fifteen. You're not limited to the fifteen shareholders of a company now. You know, the the fifteen incorporators. Excuse me. You mm-hmm. can you can invest small amounts, and you know that that will help grow. Our, the startup scene, um, individual investors, people who don't want to just leave their money in a savings account earning next to nothing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these opportunities. So round one, the first of its kind, bravo to them. So, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, Brandon, good job, guys. Yeah, because, you know, my, my my impression of like, um, what do you call it? Like those uh, crowdfunding websites, is they're, they're essentially a kind of drop shipping. And then when you mentioned, like when you alluded to equity, I was like, Wait no, that's uh, no no no. That's very different. That's uh, I think it is I, very I, different. Yeah, I, I but I think I do recall like a, a an article about it. Um, but 
let's take a step back, uh, I guess, from all of these different uh, things, because I think if we, if we go down <laughs> sure. these avenues, that's like a four hour conversation in and of itself. Yeah. Um, can you tell me about like what your life as a lawyer was that 10 years of <laughs> the 10 years of time, which was much too long for your taste <laughs> uh, no, it, no, was of like not. when you were practicing as a lawyer? Yeah. Well, um, as I said, it was very traditional. I think I became a lawyer at that point where suits was very big. So <laughs> I, I really espoused that personality, that attitude that, you know, uh, I don't know where, where you stand with this, but I, I would wear a suit. And then after work, I'd go to a bar. I wouldn't remove my suit no matter how hot it was. Like I really espoused that lawyer lifestyle that people think we have this mm-hmm. whole uh, on the go, go go getter hustling lifestyle, but it was a lot of hard work. You know, your late hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no overtime. I'm sure you know that we never got overtime pay at the firm, despite working the late late hours. But mm-hmm. you know, it was a lot of dedicated time, right? And there's a lot of research, reading, dealing with people. And I think that's the other thing that pushed me away from practice mm-hmm. is, um, for the lack of a better word, the beating the hole. Like mm-hmm. I would always be there to fix a problem. Right. On the rare case for some of the corporate clients, perhaps prevent the problem. Right. So I, I would only be called upon when something was wrong. So I was never really part of that company for the good times. I never really saw how it flourished after the case. And I missed out. I felt like I was constantly reading books that I wasn't finishing. I would always start the first few chapters and then I'd pick up another book. So that, that, that was, that was what, what was missing for me. And I think that's why I shifted into the more entrepreneurial aspect, but making sure to use my legal experience um, to help me move forward, especially like here at the NAWA, um, the pain points I had as a lawyer or as a litigator, um, or for, for example, as a corporate secretary also, um, I can see how that can be addressed with technology. Just the simple fact of waiting for a board resolution or the minutes of a meeting to get signed by, let's say you have like some companies have, we have like 10 directors, Mm-hmm. Getting those signatures the old way could take us a month, man. And yeah. that delays everything drastically with our solution. And I am sorry if I keep coming back and try to plug my product. But with our solution, what used to take a month can now be done in a matter of minutes. And the speed at which things get done really changes, really makes businesses more efficient. And I can't, I can't stress enough the value of that, the value of time. People often underlook the value of time and, and this sort of thing. And mm-hmm. also, again, I'll go back to the waste of paper, your carbon footprint. If I may, mm-hmm. Rami, um, mm-hmm. the current administration laid out their plans, right? So very happy to say, like, we're, we're like, Unawa is working with the Supreme Court. We're working with a lot of government offices. They're very heavy and they're very big into their push of the dip process of digitization. And digitization will do so much. It will, it will stop corruption. It will curb a lot um, the delays. Uh, let, let's segue a bit. And I mentioned corruption. I saw you smile. Just an example of what technology can do. Um, I'm sure you've heard of all instances of like bogus warrants of arrest, right? Yeah. And then so- someone will just give a warrant of arrest. Um, a layman uh, gets a warrant of arrest at like 11 at night, freaks out. And then I'm sorry, there are, the, this does happen. And the, uh, some officers, some cops will be just like, and then someone frantic will just like, yeah, sure, here, you know, even though they didn't do anything. And there is a proliferance of bogus warrants of arrest that have no basis, mm-hmm. but some of these people know how to take advantage of that. 
So with, with the use of digitization and technology, for example, our technology, um, we put layers of security in all our documents. Uh, very simply, we put like, for example, a QR code on any document that goes out of our system so that if ever it gets printed out and you have questions about its authenticity or some provisions look uh, different from what you remember, you can simply just scan the QR code. It will pull it up against the system. A simple visual comparison will show you which one is real, which one is not. Uh, things like that. So it's it's mm. yeah, it's 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 a push forward for sure. Mm. Yeah, but you know that that's actually the funny thing that there isn't actually ways that currently exist to be able to verify the veracity of a warrant. Like that's such a pain point in the practice where you know you still have to call up the court to be able to check if the warrant was in fact regularly issued. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things where the information does in fact exist. I do believe the PNP has actually centralized the you know the receptacle mm-hmm, system mm-hmm. which takes in all of these warrants so that it can be distributed across the PNP. Um, the information is there, but it's just that the interface, right? Yes. In, insofar as it relates to an outside observer who might not be part of the government or the court that might have issued the warrant, uh, is not able to access that information. And it's a real shame, you know, because it it creates a, a larger space, I would say, for lawyers like you and me to exist. Like uh, where, you know, because the the system is such a hulking behemoth and there are so many knobs on it, right? You need people who are sort of well-versed in, I I always use this euphemism, Mandarin, whenever there's like something that I don't understand, right? Um, Like essentially to be able to talk to the behemoth that is the the Philippine government and try to try and and interface with it in a way that will make sense to these people. But one interesting point that I want to latch on to, right, is corruption. Um, what are some like what are the areas I guess uh, that perhaps this digitization push can sort of disincentivize corruption? Because you know I'll just be frank with you. Like say for example, um, I thought the anti money laundering regulations, right, the inability to move large sums of money, was going mm-hmm. to make corruption a thing of the past. This is something that I followed. Uh, as it was, you know, developing in our jurisdiction. So I thought, okay, now that the banks are going to ask for all of these paperwork to justify where this money might have come from, uh, then you know, corruption will slowly begin to phase out. But we—that's not actually the case, right? So what is it yeah. about digitization that makes it so potent as a tool to be able to prevent uh, corruption? Well, there, there. Wow, that's a that's a whole nother topic on its own, right, Rami? But um, mm-hmm. let, let's say let's bring it closer to home for me. Mm-hmm. Um, we're working with a branch of government that wants to be more transparent with the public. They want their their documentation. They want all their issuances verifiable, and that's what we do for them. I mentioned that QR code example. So mm-hmm. with that, if a if a document gets scattered around. There's the, the possibility of a forged fake document is all but eliminated, right? So uh, the document trail can now be val- validated online uh, digitally. And if we go back to notarization as well, because it's no longer a physical notarial book, you're no longer going to be able to, you know, what, what, what's the term they use? Like leave, like, you know, save some slots open for, for backdating contracts. Things mm-hmm. like that will be eliminated through the use of digitization and technology. Um, the the, the switching, the forging of a contract, the removing of a page perhaps will all be fixed as well because this will all now have its own counterpart on the digital ledger, on the blockchain, on your cloud server, depending on the use case of your enterprise. Um, these larger things about the larger transfers of money, perhaps digitization is not the solution for that. Um, fortunately, I've heard, I've heard stories of 
uh, yeah, you can't transfer money, but apparently people are swapping paintings now for <laughs> to get their payments and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, it's I will say this: um, the Philippines and the government we get a, a lot of bad uh, a lot of bad rap for sure, right? Um, mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, and I was one of those people before I started at Anawa and started working with the government agencies firsthand. Mm-hmm. Sure, there are a lot of bad eggs, but one bag egg won't, shouldn't spoil the bunch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, now that I'm working with the Supreme Court, I'm working with uh, offices with the BAR, some other local governments, I see a legitimate push from these people to try to fix things. And that is so heartwarming and overwhelming and something that I wouldn't have experienced if I wasn't in this space. In fact, that's one reason I left litigation was mm-hmm. the level of corruption that I was um, exposed to sickened me. I don't know if this is something I should mention or if this is something you should edit out, but I once uh, had a labor case where the, 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 the judge herself called me and told me how much she needed to get, get a favorable amount, to get a favorable decision. Mm-hmm. That blatant, right? It was that blatant. I, I'm not going to lie. I was clearly on the, the, my side, we were the losing case, right? It was a labor mm-hmm. issue, no doubts. Um, no mm-hmm. doubts that, you know, if we follow the law, it should have been favored one side. But I got a phone call from the judge herself. It wasn't an intermediary, wasn't uh, a burner number, that blatant. And mm-hmm. after that, it's like, I can't. I can't do this anymore. I think that's one of the main reasons I stopped litigating was I couldn't be part of that where I see problems, mm-hmm. like that drastic, that big a problem that, you know, I wasn't naive. I knew that was always happening. But to see it like that was just so heartbreaking. So I, I, I decided to go more, more, more corporate. And now that I'm working with the government again, with agencies again, with the Supreme Court, the chief justices, there are more good people than there are bad. And I think that should be highlighted. And I'm mm-hmm. very happy to say that um, uh, we are taking the right steps. We are going in the right direction. Perhaps curbing and curing corruption is a, it's a pipe dream that no country, no jurisdiction can ever solve. Um, mm-hmm. If you can, bravo to you. But the little steps are being taken. And that's all we can ask for at this point in time. And I'm happy that you know um, this, we are taking the government and the people I'm working with at least they're definitely taking the steps in the right direction. Baby steps they might be, but at least mm. it's moving forward. Uh, my, my, I, but I guess this this sort of prompts me a different question, uh, Gino. And uh, it, this comes from my experience also of the judiciary, right? Sometimes for whatever reason, you have to uh, check on the records of a case that is not yours. And I don't know because I haven't practiced in, I haven't had the good fortune of practicing in Manila, no. But here in Cebu, um, Court staff and judges are a little bit touchy about <laughs> uh, you coming in to inspect, uh, you know, court where you haven't formally appeared. You know, like say for example, if you need to file a, a motion for intervention, these kinds of pleadings, right? You need to, of course, check the status of the case at at, at what at what stage you'll be part- participating in before um you, you file those yeah. those pleadings, right? But uh, yeah, for some reason, despite the fact that trials are supposed to be public, despite the fact that these are public records and should be uh, capable of being inspected by the public, um, nonetheless, they are apprehensive of showing it to me in my professional capacity. Now, uh, this question sort of, uh, this is me sort of asking you, you are 
your pitch is basically to open up the books, kind of, to make it more transparent, to make it more verifiable. How mm-hmm. much pushback, how much resistance do you get? Yeah. Honestly, man, we have not had any. You'd be mm-hmm. surprised. Um, we were expecting a lot of pushback from the government and for things like this, but it, they're the ones spearheading it. So it's it's very it's 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 encouraging, right? So they are spearheading it. They know that the the current system is, uh, clogs the dockets. They know the current system is very dilatory. And perhaps in your example, um, I guess uh, I've never I'm not a judge, obviously, right? Uh, but I, if I if I try to put myself in their shoes, and I know uh, we all have a right to do what you just asked for, but if someone is constantly coming into their office disrupting already the immense caseload that they have to catch up on, they have to revert, they have to recess, they have to have their clerks look up documents, and you know our courtrooms are tiny, uh, the mm-hmm. document library, the physical document library probably gets destroyed each time someone borrows a document, and that's mm-hmm. probably why they get annoyed. Perhaps some of them get lost. I'm not. I've heard, I've heard, right? So I can't verify this. I've heard people um, um, enter, supposedly enter a courtroom under the same guise as you just did, but they never return the documents, right? So often there are many times that these documents are, you know, I don't know if, if I watch too many movies or if I'm thinking there's like some spying going on, but documents get lost. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with still having a physical library. Can you imagine everything you asked for you can request from your branch one, two, three, or uh, um, whatever it might be. May I please have access to these case files? And they just send you access online. And then you have all of these case files available to you. Uh, if it gets printed out, they will know you printed it out. They always have a, a digital transaction list of what goes on with their documents so that the chain of custody is never ruined. The, the library is never messed up. Their day-to-day workflow, their day-to-day operations don't get intervened with as well it's just a simple request which all can be automated with the with our systems actually um Mm. it can all be automated and really remove the account for human error or importantly give you know the workforce give you know our government employees especially the clerks are so swamped with work um (laughs) they're overburdened as it is and technology can only help them you know it can if anything if it gives them back three hours of their day with their families. I think I did my job. Just that is already a, it's a benchmark for now of success. If, if we can give back some time to some of these workers who are so stuck in the manual process. And again, we are industry agnostic. This can apply for any industry. Um, you, I, I don't know how big your, your document library is in your law, in your law firm. Man. But just, just sifting through the documents, looking for the affidavit of so-and-so, looking for where's the gist of the affidavit of this, who checked it out, where is it, you know, or if someone brings it out, it gets lost, you spill your coffee on it. There's so many inherent risks to a paper flow, to a paperwork, to a paper document workflow that it's just, it doesn't make sense. We we are at that cost. We are, we are at that stage where we are shifting from fax to email, from snail mail to regular mail. It's It's about that time that we take advantage of what technology can give and can bring. And utilize mm-hmm. it to all the best effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I guess I guess I should jump in by saying, like, I actually do like try to employ some of the principles that you're talking about with regards electronic, um, well, just the electronic electronicization of everything that is the legal <laughs> process. Like, I I, I use a very, uh, I guess you should put it like a like a very 
a loose network of different applications to sort of keep my my legal life in order. Like um, a big one that I rely on is OneDrive, uh, just because I keep everything uh, uploaded in the cloud. So actually, I when in my practice, unless I'm I'm taking on a case, I barely ever touch physical documents. I, I, See, I like exactly. I, mm-hmm. yeah, but go ahead, apologies. Yeah, but then there is no real comprehensive legal solution that I found. And people have attempted to sell me on them, mind you. Um, I won't name any of your competitors, <laughs> but uh, you're 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 not the first legal technology solution to have approached me. And uh, to be honest with you, there's a lot of them try to do it all kind of, and they don't get very far. Like uh, without naming the particular legal platform, um, there's one that wants to do your appointment setting. It wants to help you manage your documents. It wants to help you find clients. It wants to help you. Um, it, it, it'll simultaneously sell you like documents that uh, formats that you can use. And uh, for to my to my knowledge, like these are all things that are so needless. And at the end of the day, it doesn't. It it, it attempts to do all of those different things. And it doesn't accomplish them, so I'm I'm looking forward to um, the legal products that uh, Onawa can crank out because, frankly, no, uh, actually, I we haven't, haven't even. <laughs> sorry, no, yeah. we haven't actually spoken about our products. But I have to emphasize again <laughs> that we are industry agnostic. It's not <laughs> specific to law firms. Um, <laughs> we do. This is a weird segue, considering you kind of just chat on some of those things. We do <laughs> have similar products, right? Um, mm-hmm. But you also said something very interesting. You have a suite of tools mm-hmm. to just get your job done. We have tried to incorporate that. So essentially, we have four products at Onawa. Mm-hmm. We have Sign Secure, mm-hmm. we have Safe Form, we have Forma, and currently we have our Notary. As we mm-hmm. already discussed, our Notary is not something we push very hard because it doesn't give that benefit that the users deserve. We are building eNotary in cooperation with um, a very big bank that has the same colors as our back, our logo. So um, <laughs> if you can guess, if you can guess from that, go ahead um, to, to really uh, speed things up. But our tools, um, one, again, I have to focus, uh, industry agnostic, anyone can use it. So our sign secure, as I said, uh, there are tier levels, but for the most part, the free account, it's unlimited. You can now replace any document that you need signing with our product and make things much more simple. Our document management system is more collaborative than OneDrive, so it can index, it has um, OCR capabilities, it has smart character reading and things like that. But again, because we are at that cost of digitization, what we develop is we realize, especially here in the Philippines, there is still that physical library, and we don't want to think of only moving forward. We want to catch up. So with tools like ours, you can scan your documents And the system through machine learning and through a little bit of education that you might plug into the system will will help you decide what documents are duplicates, what's a triplicate. So it will organize it, catalog it, and index it in a way that's much more convenient than you scanning, manually labeling. It's part of the digitization process. Um, Our safe form, yes, we do have some free forms out there. We do have the, the safe starter kit, for example, for any startup raising funds. The mm. templated board resolutions, it's all there. So you can fill that up. Um, it's available for free. You can fill that up. But for other industries, what we do is we build their forms, right? So gone are the days where you have to start from Microsoft Word or Apple Pages or Google Docs, perhaps. Um, forms that have that are repeatedly used are now built in into your enterprise account, for example, depending mm. on what it is, whether it be a sales invoice, a purchase order form, Something that gets repeated use can now be templated and filled up automatically. 
right? So what we're trying to do is not just, we're not just trying to make sure it's a high-tech solution, right? We're trying to save time where time can be saved. So manual encoding, that, that's, that's done. Uh, the constant repetition of the same entry, that's done. Just fill up a data sheet, the system will plot it accurately. Um, we're, we're working with, um, for example, there's this one company that, uh, they're, they're a placement company for seafarers, right? Mm -hmm. um, per, per seafarer, they have about 80 documents that they mm -hmm. have to fill up. It's a very manual process, right? And then prior to our system, um, their encoder would take a day to two days to fill up all the forms for one seafarer. And on, on any given time, they have 50,000 seafarers that need placement, right? Mm. And then if this person suddenly types one, two instead of two, one, that seafarer's application gets denied on, like, say, their passport number. And, but all of the information is generally based on another document anyway. So let's say, for, let's say I'm a seafarer. You upload my passport. You upload my sets of visas. Our system will get all of that information and fill the forms out accordingly. So if you need information from your Shenzhen visa, it knows to look at the Shenzhen visa. Your U.S. visa, it knows to look at the U.S. visa. If it, if it needs to fill up your information from your passport, it will automatically know that that is the Philippine passport. It's read it. It's scanned it. It will plot all of that information. What used to take a day to two days now gets done in five minutes. I'm sure there's still things that need to be fixed, things that need to be um, made more available to other industries, but we are in that that step. So you know, I I'd really like people to embrace technology for for whatever reason, whether it be convenience or even cost. Like um, our most expensive subscription to our document management and our signature platform is infinitely cheaper than how much you would spend on paper on or on paint or something people don't take into account. Um, let's say your office is 100 square meters at 100,000 pesos a month, and your document library is 20 square meters. Just to house your documents, you're paying 20,000 pesos a month to store your documents, right? It mm -hmm. takes up real estate space, and people don't take that into account. You mm -hmm. digitize that. That's cost savings for you. That's mm -hmm. efficiency measures brought up. So it's... it's, it, it's um, I'm getting like a bit too passionate, I think, about this already for such a nonchalant topic. But yeah, the the importance of digitization and the value it brings to any industry is 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 something I can't stress enough. Mm -hmm. But uh, I guess let, taking a step back from the 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 things that you're so incredibly passionate about, and of course you, you <laughs> did you did make a very good case now for um, uh, the digitization in general and Unawa services in particular. But I guess I just should ask, like, is this sort of how you imagined your life as a lawyer going? No, not at all. Uh, this was not even a thing. Even to this day, when I, um, when people ask me what I do, I'll still just say lawyer, right? It doesn't open up any other questions. When I go, oh, I am the chief operating officer of a startup that's looking to digitize the entire document lifecycle. Like what? <laughs> it's just yeah, I'm a lawyer, <laughs> so that's what I do. So it definitely isn't what I imagined. Um, mm -hmm. I think um, myself. I'm not going to speak for everyone. My vision of a lawyer is what I saw growing up on TV: uh, the dramatic courtroom closing argument, um, um, you know, a time to kill. Those movies were I. Those were the things that I thought I'd be doing. Um, little did I know that it was like 90% sitting on a desk and paperwork. 
all of that drama, looking for evidence. I think that's a misconception. At least I had. I because of the Western movies, I believe the lawyer was the one. I'm the one out there looking for evidence. I'm the one like talking to that bad cop who saw something but didn't report it in the statement or things like that. I mm. thought that drama, that excitement was going to be my daily life. But no, what was it? It was me in Westlaw. It was me looking through the scra, if you still remember the scra, um, and typing up pleadings, right? It, it was that. And then perhaps I will do a cross-examination that will last 20 minutes every what, luckily, every two weeks, maybe one case, if I get scheduled and calendared uh, every two weeks for that case, that will be a very fast calendar. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like that. So this is something I never contemplated. I never imagined. And but now that I'm here, I feel like it's the right place for me to be. I feel like I am, well, Onawa, myself included, uh, and, and the other startups in the space, we're opening doors for change that's long overdue. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the legal system is still very analog. And I know I constantly say that our services and our products are enterprise agnostic, but we keep falling back into the legal system, which is great. I love that I get to talk about this again. And, but it's, it's about time to, to change things. Um, the, the, um, the, the processes we have now are too dilatory and mm -hmm. that all can be traced down to the, re the way it's, it's getting done. So just, mm -hmm. just something as simple as allowing for a digital pleading, the elimination of paper or a wet signature can speed mm -hmm. things up drastically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's pretty much things like, like that. So I didn't imagine myself being here because this did not exist. This was not something I could have even imagined a few years ago. But mm -hmm. now that I'm here, um, it's, it's the right space to be. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I know a lot of lawyers who get stuck in their profession because they feel like they've dedicated too much time already and for mm -hmm. them to uh, backtrace now would be a waste but don't don't think like that um if there's anyone of that mindset don't limit yourself you can i know so many i in my batch i had a um one of our bar top notchers in ateneo back then as soon as she finished taking the bar you know what she did what she did went she to do? med school right <laughs> it's, it's like because my parents wanted me to be a lawyer, so I'm a lawyer now. So like, don't feel enclosed in a box. Um, branch out. Um, I'm still in the legal field. I've never worked with the Supreme Court as much as I have now, as when I was litigating. I've met mm -hmm. justices. I'm with the uh, um, I'm with the clerks. I just came from the Supreme Court today. Mm -hmm. I appear in the Supreme Court more often than I ever did as a lawyer. So mm -hmm. I get to see justice. Perhaps not that the perspective the public sees it, but from like from the start, from the ground up, I see the processes, and I'm now more proud to be a lawyer because I see that there are lawyers out there, there are members of the judiciary that are trying to make effective change. That's mm -hmm. something I would have never seen sticking to traditional legal practice. So I still consider myself in legal practice, but definitely not traditional. Mm -hmm. But if if so, now we've sort of identified how there's like a <laughs> excuse me. There is a difference in the legal field now as opposed to when you started practicing. So oh, I think sure. that, yeah, that difference is important to highlight because there are many, like I, I still, I, I coach for the local moot court team here in, uh, nice. in, in, in I, because I'm a professor in one of the universities of law here. And so I coach uh, as part of the deal, like that's part of my commitment to the dean. 
and so I'm interacting with law students. And so sometimes they'll ask for advice, like, is this is this really the way the practice is here, attorney? And then, you know, they'll ask these very candid questions. And I guess I just wanted to ask you the question, right? Like if you, if you were talking to someone who was, you know, a fourth year law student, or maybe they just took the oath as a lawyer, what is some advice you would give them as they set out on this journey of, uh, you know, living life as an attorney? Well, first, um, make sure you know why you want to be a lawyer, okay? Mm -hmm. Myself and many other people included, um, it gets pushed on them by family. Perhaps mm -hmm. it's carrying on a tradition. Uh, their parents, their grandparents are lawyers. Um, or they get swayed by the by the, the stigma. What's, what's a more positive word for stigma? By the... <laughs> see, I've been out of practice. I lost that gift of, of gab, I suppose. But people think that we are uh, lawyers are hold such a high stature that they want to chase that stature. And that's what they're after. They're not aware of the work that goes behind it. So the advice I would give is one, make sure this is really something you want to do. And if it is really something you want to do, why do you want to do it, right? Why do you want to be a lawyer? Is it because you want to make money? I promise you there are better, faster ways to make money, right? <laughs> do you really want to help? Um, there are other ways to help, right? So figure out your reason, your why for doing things and what you expect to achieve out of it. And I think mm -hmm. that will help more effectively. And um, Understand, have conversations like this, have speak to practicing lawyers, ask them what it's really like, because the real world is very different from, again, my own case, my own imagination or my own situation. Considered. A lot of it, I thought, is what I saw on TV, right? And I'm sure the same applies for a lot of people. So have that conversation, make sure you know what you're getting into and don't be taken aback too much and don't feel bad if you realize down the line, this is not what you want to do. There are many fields of law you can be, you can be in. That's, I think, the beauty also of being a lawyer is you're not too much enclosed. You can be in any industry, any industry, every company needs a lawyer, right? So if you mm -hmm. want to work in a startup as the in-house counsel, you get to do that. If you want to work um, for, uh, I know a lawyer friend of mine who I worked with before, who's now part of FIFA, right? So uh, He's now part sports arbitration, right? So there are a lot of things you can do with your legal career. Just make sure you look into that space. Don't be constrained and don't be limited to what you think is litigation or in-house corporate work for big companies. Look for mm -hmm. that interesting startup that needs a lawyer. Look for that, um, that NGO that's looking to change things because everyone needs a lawyer. That, that, that I think, uh, is set in stone. AI this, AI that, uh, we're here to stay. I think I think we're one of we're going to be one of the few professions that will be it'll take time to be replaced by AI. So mm -hmm. find that know know that you can um, um, hone your skills almost anywhere um, in mm -hmm. in any industry, and take advantage of that opportunity. Just like me, um, I was a litigator. I was a corporate lawyer. I was uh, head of legal for a big company. I, I I did it all already, and then I found tech. And then I found a way to apply my legal background into tech, and I've never been happier. And mm -hmm. I and now that I see that I'm espousing that now, especially as espousing positive change, mm -hmm. as cliche and corny as it is, I sleep better at night. I wake up excited for my day. I'm I don't have that sense of burnout that I used to have in litigation. I don't have that. Um, well. It, it has taken its toll on me. Um, <laughs> it has taken its toll on me, um, but I'm much happier now. I'm more relaxed. Perhaps if I started this, this would have still remained, 
but that didn't. But really, um, find where you fit, guys, and um, make the most of it. I think don't mm-hmm. don't be afraid to ask the questions. Well, if I if I could just latch on to one thing you said, because you mentioned AI taking over the legal profession, and I think you know whenever because people ask me that, you know, Rami, one of your profession is knowledge work, and so AI is replacing knowledge work. You say it with Chat GPT and stuff, and I always oh. just respond with the same thing. I always just tell them sort of. Um, you know, like, I think you really don't understand the work of a lawyer or the legal system in general, exactly. right? If you think exactly. that AI can replace us, because we exist because we don't like despots, right? Human beings don't like being governed by despots. And what is more despotic than a dispassionate machine getting to <laughs> sanction you for the way you live your life, right? Like Exactly, we, exactly. Yeah, we are human for a reason. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I get a lot of questions about that now um, about um, am I afraid that AI will replace my job? I mm. think in the States, they already have, there's this one company, I think it's Robo Lawyer, that yeah. specifically fights, I think it's parking violations only, right? So yes, it's, a, yeah, so am I right? That's it. Okay, good. So my example is correct. But yeah, that's a very limited use case. You know, you can't, like for those who say that will be replaced by AI, it's not. It's a very intricate, and it's a very, as you said, very human mandated task that, um, it, well, maybe who am I to speak what the capabilities of AI are in the future? Um, but at the moment, I don't see it replacing us. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that in certain t- sense of job security, uh, the legal field, I think we, we're we're set for that one at the very least. Fam- famous last words, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I hope uh, not. I can no, give uh, an example of off of a movie. I think. Um, uh, may I? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. Have, it's it's an old Robin Williams movie. Have you seen Bicentennial Man? Yes, yes, I love that movie. Yeah, if Go you ahead. think, if shame, if you think about it, everything there, uh, the doctors were replaced by machines, uh, organs were replaced by machines. But what what still had the human component? They were on trial. It was still a, a human being deciding whether or not uh, Robin Williams's character was a human. So everyone was replaced by machines except the lawyers in that movie. It's a really ridiculous example to prove my point, but. <laughs> It's it, it just goes to show that there's still an element of human intervention that I don't think a machine can ever take take its place just yet. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm just I'm just glad that there was a Robin Williams reference in this episode at all, just because I love I love <laughs> the man, uh, R.I.P. Oh, Robin Williams. Doesn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess um, I should ask this is this is the question that I usually cap the podcast with, um, Gino, what do you see yourself? Uh, doing in five years? What do you see your Unawa doing in five years? I think I think I think uh to to lend the question the proper amount of gravitas. Let's start with where do you see Unawa and then where do you see yourself? Right? Um in five years I believe Unawa will be an industry leader in the field, um, mm-hmm. making ourselves available to uh the entire country and hopefully um beyond the region, right? And I have every I have every intention of staying with Unawa for more than the five years because I know the digitization process is not something that can happen overnight. Um, five years is not a very long time nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I do believe, I sincerely believe as, as perhaps not sexy as it might be, that the, the digitization of our workflow will drastically help our economy. It will put the Philippines on the map. If Unawa and our partner bank's um, sandbox project for electronic notarization gets approved, um, we will be the first of its kind in the world. And um, it's 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 comforting and encouraging to know that I'm working with a group that is trying to espouse meaningful change 
that goes beyond um, my self-interest. Of course, I am an entrepreneur at heart. I am a lawyer. I, I do have my own personal ambitions and personal goals. But if I can attach those personal ambitions, those personal goals for the well-being and the benefit of the, and the greater good of society in general, it's like, wow, where is this coming from? Um, I, uh, I would know if, if my friends are laughing, they're like, he's lying to you, Rami. That is not true. <laughs> but I do believe that. I am actually very happy to be in a place where I am in a position that I can uh, affect change. It might not be the kind of change uh, other people do where they dedicate their lives to charity and God bless those people, right? But uh, I'm happy to be in a position that I can do change, whether it's from the back end of things it's mm. it's a it's a good place to be in. I'm, and for the first time in my life, I'm legitimately excited. I don't consider this a job. I'm very happy with what I do. I'm blessed to have the most incredible team um, around me, and it's it's amazing. It's mm. it's really good. Find that. I hope everyone can find what I found to have a support system within the, a company like mine to have people who are willing to work for you for that common goal. That. You know, I mean, we are a startup. We do fundraise. We do try to make money. But we're doing something that will benefit so many people in ways that they don't even realize that they can be benefited from. We can benefit the environment. We can benefit the SME. We can benefit the government. And it, it's, it's a good place to be in. And I hope I'm still able to be in this position in five years. I yeah. hope um, what we're doing is still, if not much more forward move, moved. I hope it's, I really hope that in five years, I still feel this way. And that's what I see really, that I'm still helping my, helping anyone, helping someone through, through the technology that we're putting forward and just constantly innovating in a positive way. Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope you get there, man. Anyway, thank you for coming on the podcast. It was a wonderful conversation. I hope you mean that. Thank you so much, Rami. I really enjoyed this.